Thank you, brother. Oh, love you, man. You're great. I'm going to be looking for that cup of joe, right? <laughs> I was going to grind up coffee and do all that up here, but I said, you know, I work much better in the front of the house than in the back of the house. Less is more. <laughs> Less is more. <laughs> Don't take that coffee too far away, all right? <laughs> you want a cup or you good? <laughs> I left my glass. Thanks. So great being with you. <laughs> Thanks. Well, what's all that about, right? Well, Brother Eric is doing what God made him to do. God made him to love people and share coffee. And he's doing that. And he, and he says that we have encouraged him to do that. That's cool, I think, you know, for us, the body of Christ, to encourage our brother Eric to be who God made him to be. That's what it's all about. That's what discipleship is is all about. We are engaged in raising up one another, encouraging one another to be the people God has saved us, redeemed us, washed us, filled us to be. Our passage of scripture this morning comes from the Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. And Lord, we thank you for Eric, too. We thank you that, that you have written this thing in your word. You have, you have communicated that to your people. And then you raise up an Eric so that we can see that in action. Lord, thank you so much. And we pray this morning, Lord, as we, as we look at the, these ideas, these ways of thinking, and, and how to follow your desire for us, Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, soft hearts, Lord, to accept. And Father, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit in order that we may also love who you have made us to be and be engaged with that in reality, Father, doing the things that you have called us to do. Plain and simple, being followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, bless us, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God has always been about this. He's always been about encouraging his people to be the people that he has made them to be. Think about what God does for us. In Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever should believe in him should never die, but have life, right? Have life. And that life is intimately engaged with the idea of purpose. It's not just life like, you know, plankton floating in the ocean. This is, this is life that connects us to what we were made to do. That is to enjoy God and glorify his name, to be his children, to live in intimacy with God, being the people that he wants us to be. 
Nothing could be better, more satisfying, more fulfilling than that, than realizing that for each of us. And that's what we want. We want that for one another. We want to be engaged with God in such a way as to live lives that are, that are passionately engaged with God's desire for us. From the beginning, this has been God's intention, I believe, from the moment things were created, God has been interested in engaging us in that. Jesus, in Matthew 28, gives the Great Commission. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. God wishes to start this thing in us, this transformation that will be shared, that will be passed on from one person to another. And he says that he will be with us forever in that work, even until the end of the age. The premise in all this is, surround, it goes around this. The church is a community of people who help one another live out their whole life at home, at work, in church, and in their neighborhoods as followers of Jesus Christ, engaged in his mission to the world. So it's not just starting with Jesus' great commission. It goes back even to the beginning, the very beginning. Genesis, God calls us, he creates us and calls us to be his people. He says, I've created you, now work and keep this garden. Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion over the fish, the birds, the creatures of the land. Be engaged in living a life that is intimately connected with God and his desire for us and his entire creation. It goes on to Abraham. It doesn't stop there, it goes on, reminding us once again and re-engaging us in this work that he has called us to do. Genesis chapter 12. God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Call of the Old Testament people of God had always been that they were to be those who would represent God's plan for the whole world. They were to be the modelers, the, the pioneers, the, the first ones to carry the message forward. It's no surprise that when Jesus begins his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, from our passage this morning, that he outlines uh, for his people what they should be like, who they should look like, by giving them a new identity, identity that is defined by certain characteristics. This theme stretches back, back to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus calls his disciples to himself and then he shares with them the characteristics of those who live according to the new kingdom. It's a blessing to those who are. And at this point, Jesus is not asking them to do anything. He's asking them simply to be something. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So what Jesus here is saying is that if you, you have these characteristics, you are being what he has called you to be. And in, in a sense, just the existence of you, the, the reality of you being is enough to, to give a testimony for God's greatness, that he makes a people who are like this, who has the, have these characteristics. God is, what God is saying here is that there is a new humanity, a new humanity, not the old humanity, and we see this throughout the Old Testament, God, God countering the moves of, of, uh, of perverse humanity by recreating it time and time again, reinfusing his people with, with, uh, with, the, with the same vision of glory, of godliness, etc., on and on, over and over. God is creating a new humanity through Jesus Christ. When Jesus announces that these disciples of the kingdom are salt and light, he is urging them to see themselves differently. To everyone looking on, they might have appeared to be ordinary, and indeed they are. To Jesus, they are the ones through whom the love of God will be shared with the world. They act as salt in places that are missing a vital ingredient and light as places that are in the dark. This past uh, week we, we uh, sent Billy Graham home. The Lord called him. Uh, so he's with Jesus now. But uh, one of the things, if you heard the, the eulogies, the many eulogies pronounced for br Brother uh, Billy Graham, uh, things start to come out about Billy Graham. Now we know he was a great evangelist. He did Billy Graham's crusades all over the world. He, he did publishing, he has a retreat center. He, all of these things Billy Graham started, but really it all sort of grew out of who Billy Graham was, the Billy Graham that God made, the one that was forgiven and renewed and filled with God's Holy Spirit, who then went out and did what he has done. Rick Warren, in describing Billy Graham's life, his life in the gospel, talks about Billy Graham building his life on three essential things. And they're, they're simple things. They're not hard things. Simple things. Integrity, humility, and generosity. And those things drove the rest. Of course, over all of this is the love of Christ. Billy Graham loving the Lord and loving his neighbors. Because of that, he was able to, in integrity, in humility, and in generosity, minister to the world. One of Billy Graham's big thing was being a bridge builder rather than a wall builder. He was eager to build bridges to communities and to people, right? Much like Eric does in Boston and Cambridge and Somerville, right? He's building community out of diverse populations. 
something that is really needed, okay? We, we appreciate people's diversity, but if we're, we're all separate units living in ghettos, separate from one another, the, the chances for resentment and hatred to rise is, it, well, that's the story of history, right? That's the story of history. But if we make an attempt to build bridges, to reach out to one another, to show that we have true regard and respect for one another, then we can begin to build community, right? And those communities then offer opportunities to share what's most important. Billy Graham was a, build, a build, bridge builder, a unifier rather than a divider. He often said it was better to encourage than to criticize. And finally, he was taking the long view in his ministry. He knew that it would take a big investment of time and effort over a long period of time to see fruit from his ministry. And he was willing to do that. He was willing to let God be God in his life and in his ministry. And from that we saw wonderful things from Billy Graham. But one of the things that, that I really liked about Billy Graham's ministry was, the, was the, the things he did in communities. I remember uh, there was, a, a, there was a, um, one of his crusades in Pittsburgh not long ago and the effort was put out to bring in as many churches as possible into this effort. And this is months and months and months ahead of time. And Billy Graham asked everybody to identify people that you love, right, who may benefit from going to a Billy Graham crusade and tell them about it. In fact, if you want, you could buy their ticket, you know, and, and, and get them down there, maybe give them a ride. And then pray for them, right? So this is out of people with whom you had a relationship. So from this relationship, you knew of their need, and, and this need is crying out for Jesus. So you share your love of Christ with them as you are demonstrating your love for them. And pray, pray, pray over them. And this effort over months and months and months would bear fruit when Billy Graham finally got up in the pulpit and preached the gospel simply and clearly. And you could see people going down front to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. It wasn't just Billy Graham. It was the community of Jesus that was formed and motivated and encouraged and directed in this effort that brought about those, uh, those uh, um, um, transformations in people's lives. People reaching out to their loved ones, building relationships based on love and concern, surrounded by prayer and care, and finally, to the moment when the gospel was presented in a clear, concise way, even as the beloved community reached out to encompass the new believer in loving kindness. And that's how the gospel goes forward, plain and simple. It's not people with PhDs, it's not people with master's degrees, it's not people who took evangelism courses, it's people who love and care for the people around them, who believe in Jesus, who can see the benefit of transformed lives, and then acting on those faithful things. Being salt and light. You know, salt and light has many purposes. It can be a preservative to stop food from rotting, it can be a flavoring to enhance food, the flavor of food. It can be a medical treatment for certain ailments. And, and even, hard to believe, it can be a fertilizer to enable fruitfulness. 
Light, also, a metaphor that highlights the fact that in dark places, not only does light reveal what is there, but it offers new perspectives and benefit to everyone. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 11, those bits preceding our passage this morning, uh, light is related to actions, to everyday actions that demonstrate that these people had a different view of life. Jesus suggests that people would see these and realize that there must be some other source for their lives. It doesn't sound as though you need to work hard to live like this. It has a feel that it flows naturally from your identity as God's people. Salt, when presented, has a beneficial effect upon what it, what's around it. It has influence by simply being there. I think the argument is so do you. You have benefit simply by being in your neighborhoods, by working at the place where you work, by going to church where you go to church, by being part of a, a group that engages in athletics of some kind. You have an effect just by being there. Right? And that's part of being a Christian, I think. When God says, make disciples, you know, what he means is that be influential in such a way as to have an effect on people. Build relationships. Earn the right to, to say something, to share, to, to listen, to be there as people develop, as they go through different things. Support them, care for them, pray for them. All of this is the effect that you have on the culture in which you live and work. This life we received is lived out in the midst of a culture that has decided it wants to live in a different way from us. It wants to live away from God, separate from him. Even if they believe in him, they don't believe that he has a right to say, to have a say in their lives. They largely live without any reference to God. How can a person live in such a culture? How do you live alongside people who may think that belonging to a church and believing in Jesus are somehow quaint activities, if not nutty activities? Good for some, but not for them. Keep your business to yourself. That's religion. It has no place in the public square. Well, God says no. You have every right to have influence in the communities in which you live. You, if, if you are being a Christian, you can't help but have an influence. Keep it up. I encourage you to keep it up. Don't stop. Remain true to what God has called you to be. And that in itself will have an effect wherever you find yourself. Jesus suggests that we act differently, but that it will begin because our identity is rooted in our relationship with God our Father. We look forward to awesome and excellent things happening when that is the case. This calls for a reawakening of a New Testament impact, if you will. I've been reading a lot about the early church last, uh, lately, being in Jerusalem and Italy earlier uh, last year. You know, it's really interesting to see the impact that Christians had in the world back then. And this is before seminaries. It's, uh, it was uh, before um, Billy Graham Crusades. It was before R.C. Sproul and Ligonier Ministries. It was before any form of evangelical uh, teaching or learning or, uh, or plans or strategies or any of that stuff. This is before any of that stuff. 
People experienced transformed lives because they met Jesus Christ, and he changed their lives forever. And as changed, inspired people, they made a difference where they lived. And many scholars have looked at this, and they come up with this statement about that. Again and again, research shows that religious conversions happen through social networks, the very thing that Brother um, Eric is working on, social networks, building relationships with people and allowing relationships to be built among people, right? Conversions happen through social networks, through a structure of direct and intimate interpersonal attachments. Everyday friendships and the personal interactions of average believers are what it makes, are what makes the greatest difference. And that's the early church, just being who they are, building relationships with their neighbors, and, and loving mercy, walking humbly, right? Integrity, character, kindness, uh, care for people, compassion for people. It changed the world, just those things. Just being who you are in Christ, being that Christ-like person has an incredible impact on people in their lives. You know, we live in a, in a society that's actually been inoculated against massive rallies, right? Billy Graham crusades. You, you talk about putting those on in cities that nowadays. I remember not long ago I was asked to go sit with a group that were contemplating doing a Billy Graham crusade, and it came down to, to uh, them deciding not to do one in New England because New England had become inoculated against it. They thought it was silly. No one would come. It wouldn't work with New Englanders, etc. So they decided not to do it. So if that doesn't work, we've got to ask ourselves, what will work? Well, well, how about what's always worked, right? People being loving people. People loving their neighbors. When we were in Israel, uh, this, this past week. One of the things that the guide said to me, he says, you know, this, this group of people is an amazing group of people. I've never had a group like this. He says, not only are they tough, not only are they doing everything that they're called on to do, going to these sites, walking the way that we're, where we walked, all the rest of it, but he gets the feeling from us that we really believe what Jesus has called us to do, that is to love God and to love our neighbors. And he encouraged us at the, at the garden in Yad Vashem. He says, if you go out of this place, take one thing with you, that you are called to love your neighbor, and that by itself will change the world. This is from a Jewish guy who is a secular Jew who has no real faith in Christ, right? He saw what we were preaching, not with our words, but with our actions, with our attitudes, with how we made him feel in our presence. That was powerful. So once again, religious conversion can happen through social networks, through a structure of direct and intimate interpersonal attachments. The early church also engaged not only in that, but also in caring for the sick, for widows and orphans. Sounds familiar, right? That's one of the God's favorite things, caring for the sick and widows and orphans. You know, the old, <clears throat> the old world had plagues and fires and natural disasters. They had devastation from riots and war. 
There were semi-regular occurrences in all these cities to have them overthrown by marauding bands from other governments and countries. Same thing over and over and over again. What made the difference for those people back then was that Christians cared enough not to head for the hills, but to stay and care for the wounded and for the sick and for the helpless of their societies. It was so much so that even the critics in the Roman government started saying, wait a minute, we should stop killing these people because they're doing what we should be doing. They're caring for our own poor and we are persecuting them as great evildoers and they're teaching us a le lesson on how to be kind. You know? It has an impact. Instead of fleeing to the countryside to escape a recent plague, they stayed and cared for their own even when it cost them their lives. People cared and people realized that. They saw it and it changed hearts. The people back then also stood against adultery, abortion, and infanticide. They stood against uh, adultery, etc. All these things. The ancient Roman world was not kind to women or children. In fact, you might say they ground them up. Married men could sleep with other women, slaves, prostitutes, unwanted offspring of these unions were usually aborted or simply left to die from exposure after birth. But the Christians would go out and adopt these kids. They would find them on, on trash heaps and they would find them in gutters and in sewers and they would collect these children and raise them as their own children. And that had an impact on the world that they lived in. Christians spoke out about all these practices, even when it would cost them their lives. They exhorted the followers of Jesus to remain faithful in marriage and to care for the most vulnerable members of society. Some of these early Christians would even rescue abandoned babies, raising them as their own. All of these beliefs and actions led to a profound impact on Roman society and the communication of the gospel. Christians of those days lived out a theology of love. They engaged one's neighbor. They cared for the sick. They rescued babies. They reflect Christian principles. The most important one is, of course, the insistent that God loves the world and has created, that he has created, and that he desires those who love him to also love their fellow man. It's almost a cliche these days. Yet, an all-encompassing ethic of love is a radical idea. We believe it so widely nowadays. We believe in it so widely nowadays that, at least on a theoretical level, only because Christianity has incorporated it so successfully into the very being of Western civilization over the centuries. These days, it's like, it's like cool to love your neighbor. And even if it's a surface love, and even if it's only kind of a, 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 a sort of expression that one does to be, to be accepted in society, you know, there's this idea in Western culture that you ought to care for the helpless, that, that they deserve your loving kindness to be expressed upon them. So feed the hungry, clothe the poor, house the homeless, heal the sick, all these things sort of dominate the news these days and, and they, they, they push all kinds of industries in our, 
in our Western culture. That is different than how it used to be. Back in the old days, people could care less about their neighbor. If you got into a jam, that was your own fault. Darwin is just working itself out in our society. You know, good riddance to them. Not anymore. Now there's a, a, a real sense that we are called to care for our neighbor. But I submit that even that social realization and those activities surrounding social work, et cetera, and a social conscience in our society today is only skin deep because it, it only goes so far as making me feel better about what I'm doing for you and not re being of real benefit to the person who is receiving those good wishes. So Christians still have a role to make those those urges, those, those sharing and caring urges, real and effective and meaningful in the lives of the people amongst who we live. Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill, cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You can mold culture. Brother Eric is molding culture. And you can say to yourself, well, what does, what does you know, this idea of community around coffee have to do with reality? Well... Eric has been created to love his neighbor. He loves his neighbor. I've never seen a guy like Eric in, in how he expresses himself to people he doesn't know. When he was with us in Israel, he literally held up the whole crowd by being friends with everybody. He couldn't, he couldn't walk down the street without introducing himself. And, you know, even guys, you know, I saw him in a little park, you know, hook up with this uh, ultra-Orthodox Jewish guy who was just there begging, right? And he wouldn't talk to you, but he would hold out his hand and give you shekels, and give him shekels, right? Eric sat down and had a conversation with the guy, and in under three minutes, the guy was talking to him, you know? I never seen anything like it. It's amazing. Wherever he goes, he's that way. We know he cares for people, and I think because he has Jesus at his heart, he is more effective than that because that concern, that desire, that love is real, right? And it is a blessing, just like God said Abraham's descendants should be, a blessing to the world. That's Eric. He's a blessing. He can't help it wherever he is. The second part is that Eric likes coffee. So from Eric's point of view, that's the, that's the grease that makes the wheels of, of, uh, of, of community work is coffee. So he's put this together. Eric, you know Eric, he's sitting right there, right? He's been in our Bible studies. He's helped with cleaning up the yard. He, he's Eric Modal, our friend. And, and like Beverly Johnson, our friend. You know Beverly, she's sitting right there. You know, all these people, all these people are being who God made them to be, simply and plainly. They, they haven't gone to, to, uh, to uh, evangelical school, anything like that. They're just being who God has made them to be. They're expressing themselves with their gifts simply. And you could do the same. 
You don't have to be trained. God's already given you everything you need to be who you are in him. The idea is that we need to encourage one another. We need to see one another in this new light, that all of us are called to do this, to be this. And we can see each other as, as the, these, uh, I don't know, action-loving, uh, task-doing persons in the kingdom of God. We can see how we fit and encourage one another and pray for one another so that we become more effective in being salt and light where God has planned us to be. You can mold culture. You do mold culture by the simplest of strategies. Love the Lord and love your neighbor. Plain and simple. Just keep it up. Let's do it together. Let's help each other. Let's excite one another with this. You can do it. You are doing it. I know. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,